Well, I miss this at the front end tonight, so hello, family. How we doing? All right, we're going to jump in because we've got a bit of things to talk about. Uh, and so tonight, uh, I'm, I'm going back a little bit with what Bud talked about last week, but I'm doing that so that we can go forward. Sound all right? All right. We are in Galatians 5, and I'm going to be reading verses 16 to 26. And Paul writes, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And these two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But, but when you are directed by the spirit, you are not under the obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And there is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. And so since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? So Jesus... I'm thankful for your presence. I thank you that you're in this room and therefore this is holy ground. And so right now we acknowledge that. We recognize that you are worthy of your name, Lord. And that there is no power in hell that can stand against the name of Jesus. And so with the truth of that, would you shut the mouth of the enemy who would come to kill and to steal and destroy because I believe that you have a word for us tonight. So God, would you give us a willingness to listen and a willingness to receive the truth of your word? And we ask all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So, kind of the buzzword of the past few weeks, I feel like has been, um, begins with an L. Legalism. And to be honest, I'm a little bit tired of the word in a lot of senses. It is what Paul is addressing in chapter 5 and in the book of Galatians, but I think because we use it so often and because of the negative connotations with it, we've become numb to the reality of this cancer that has invaded our church. Let's call it what it is. 
I grew up on what I would say, tended to be a, lead, a little legalistic at times, but praise God for the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise God for deliverance. There were some negative repercussions from this religious system, but Jesus provides healing. His word provides truth in a better way. And so what is it? We'll go back. We'll talk about it one more time, maybe a couple more times. I make no promises. But legalism, I propose to you tonight, is excessive adherence to do's and don'ts in order to have salvation. And I love that the Spirit speaks in one voice because what Dave shared is where we're going. Salvation comes from Jesus and faith in Jesus alone. So in first century Jerusalem, at the time that Paul had written this letter to the church at Galatia, they actually, uh, believe it or not, didn't have the word legalism. Isn't that funny? Yeah. They had the Greek word nomos, which means basically um, that which is assigned. And so the Jews, you can read it throughout the Old Testament, had to adhere to 613 laws. And they had an old and a physical covenant with God. Physical in the sense that circumcision was a part of that. The law referred to externals. It dealt with the externals, to the do's and the don'ts. So my first point is this. The law was designed by God to be temporary. It wasn't bad, but it was only a placeholder. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, the major prophets gave spoiler alerts. They prophesied about a new and a better covenant that was coming in Jesus. And in Galatia at the time, some of the Jews were having a really difficult time. This is after Pentecost, so the Holy Spirit had come. And they were having a hard time with the fact that suddenly they weren't the only ones that could get in on God. There were other people that didn't look like them that weren't ethnically Jewish that now had full access to God. And so they were trying to project the physical covenant, the law on these believers. And so that's what Paul is addressing because that's not a true gospel. It's, it's bad theology because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He provides true freedom. He provides a new and a better way. And in Romans 10, Paul said that for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Picking up in another translation, Romans 10, Moses wrote long ago about the need to obey every part of the law in order to be declared right with God. The one who obeys these things must always live by them. But we receive the faith righteousness that speaks an entirely different message. Hallelujah. Don't for a moment think that you need to climb up to heaven to find the Messiah or bring him down or descend into the underworld to bring him up from the dead. But the faith righteousness that we receive speaks to us in the, these words of Moses. God's living message is very close to you. As close as your own heart beating in your chest and as near as the tongue in your mouth. 
So let me make it abundantly clear one more time that salvation comes through faith in Jesus alone. Faith in his life, his death, and his resurrection, and his believing him when he said, it is finished. That was a declarative war cry over the power of sin and death in your life. Do we take Jesus at his word? It is finished. So in these passages, Paul has basically shredded any idea of what today we would call legalism. But this has been a problem in the church, an issue for a couple of thousand years. I want to acknowledge that the struggle is real. Amen? The struggle is real. We are all born with a sin nature. In Galatians 5.16, Paul writes, Let the Holy Spirit guide your life, and then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. He also goes on to say about our sin nature that it wants to do evil, which is completely opposite to what the Spirit wants. The struggle is real. In verse 17, he makes it clear that these two forces, the flesh and the spirit, are constantly in opposition to one another. I want to do this, but the Holy Spirit is saying, no, my way is better. The flesh sees this and wants to go that way, but the spirit says, no, I have a better way. And last week, Bud talked about the fruit of the flesh from verses 19 to 20 going to go through that list. The fruit of the flesh is sexual immorality or the selling off of sexual purity in any promiscuous context. Impurity. Lustful pleasures. But I want to clarify with lust, it's not just about sex. Lusting is, is having this insatiable appetite for more, for more, for more, never being satisfied idolatry or worshiping any other God that is not Yahweh, the one true God. Another fruit of the flesh is sorcery. And the Greek word here is tied to also drug use. Hostility or hatred. Quarreling. Or the desire to argue or an affection for dispute. And I've got to be honest that when I was studying this week, that one got me because I love a good argument. (laughs) I thought about sugarcoating it. That's the fruit of the flesh. Jealousy. Outbursts of anger. Or actions emerging out of our strong impulses that cause us to sin. Uh Uh-oh. Self, selfish ambition. Me, I, 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 me, me, me. Dissensions or disagreements that lead to disunity. How often do we allow our disagreements with somebody to get to the point where the enemy can get in and disrupt the unity? Guilty. Factions, envy, and a whole list of other sin. And so what Paul is pointing out here is that living by the flesh, when we are led by our flesh and our sin nature, fractured living is the result 
fractured living sexually, fractured living relationally, fractured living spiritually, fractured living culturally. And aren't we seeing that today? So universally, everyone is born, right? We all had a date of birth. Cool. All right. So when you're born, every single person is born with a sin nature. But to those who are born again through faith in Jesus, we're given the Holy Spirit. So we have a spirit nature. You see these contrasting ideas? Everyone is born with a sin nature. But to those who are born again, we've been given a spirit nature. Everyone is born has a conscience. Essentially, I would define conscience to you as moral awareness. And if you watch the news or you get on Twitter long enough, you see that a moral awareness is simply not enough on either side of arguments. Moral awareness is not enough. Scripture addresses the fluidity of the conscience that it can be influenced. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about it in a whole other issue, but he says that somebody with a weak conscience can be influenced to sin. And so that tells me that our conscience isn't true. Always let your conscience be your guide. Meh. Born with a conscience, but to those born again, Through faith in Jesus Christ, we're given a better way again. We're giving the indwelling presence of God, the Holy Spirit, who is a member of the triune God, just as much as the Father, just as much as the Son. He is co-equal. He is co-eternal. And he is living in you when you say yes to Jesus. So our conscience isn't good enough. He's The Holy Spirit is far more than just a moral awareness. He's living. He's alive and well. He won't change because he's God. And one of God's core characteristics is his immutability. He can't change. He won't change. He's not fluid. God is not weak. He cannot be weak. God is not influenced. He cannot be influenced. He can't be hardened. He can comfort you. He can counsel you. He can illuminate the scriptures to you if you spent the time in the scriptures giving him something to illuminate. He can move through you. Your conscience can't do any of that. Born again is better. So the struggle is real, but because of the indwelling presence of God himself in our lives, he empowers us to live free. In verse 22, Paul says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. So Paul has just written about the fruits of the flesh and then the turn. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And the Greek word for fruit here is karpos. And it is translated as fruit. But its usage in the context of this scripture takes it a little bit deeper. It means that which originate or comes from something 
So this fruit originates or comes from something or is an effect of something or a result of something. And the Holy Spirit here in verse 22 is Numa, who I said is the third member of our triune God. He is holy. He is utterly opposed to anything that is impure. And so this fruit is not wrought of ourselves. It's the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in us as we live and walk with him. This is a list of the character traits of God. And the Holy Spirit makes them manifest in us as we walk with him. Here's the list. We've all heard it. But I want to just speak it again and unpack them a little bit more. So we've got love, fruit of the Spirit, unselfish concern for others. We have joy, but this isn't joy based on physical or external or even present circumstances. But our joy is in the fact that our future, when we say yes to Jesus, is hidden with the he- in the heavenlies with Christ. We can have joy, peace, peace with yourself, peace with others, and peace with God. Patience, or a slowness for avenging wrongs. It's not the ability to wait, but how we act in the waiting. Kindness. When I studied this text, it was fascinating to me because our interpretation of kindness is really small and really pathetic when you contrast it to the kindness of the Lord. It's uprightness. It's integrity. It means something is properly usable. That it's well fit for use for what is really needed. And so I want to propose that kindness as it pertains to the fruit of the spirit and God's character in us is meeting real needs in God's way and in his time. Goodness is the heart that spurs us towards kindness. Faithfulness or the character of one who can be relied on. Gentleness. Humility. And then the last one is self-control. And isn't it ironic that self-control doesn't come from ourselves, but it makes sense. Because when we try to self-control, we don't. So it's not something that we can produce in ourselves, but it comes by keeping in step with the Spirit of God. We've talked about it before. Sin management doesn't work. And it won't work. This isn't a list of emotions. I'm going to say that again. This is not a list of emotions. These are things that come out of us in our character. And they're not based off of how we may feel on any given day. The fruit of the Spirit also (laughs) doesn't mean emotional tranquility. We're human. We're going to feel all the feels. Amen? (laughs) We are going to feel all the feels. But we're not called to be controlled by our feels. 
Does the scripture say that feelings are Lord? One more time. Does the scripture say that feelings are Lord? No. The scripture says who? Jesus is Lord. And so therefore, we are not dictated. We don't have to be dictated by the way that we feel and by our circumstances. And the more that we submit to the Holy Spirit and keep in step with him, the more we're going to begin to see his fruit manifest in our lives. I don't remember where I have heard this, but I know that I have on many occasions that we are a product of the five people that we spend the most time with. And so wouldn't it stand to reason that if one of those five people that we spent the most time with was Jesus, that perhaps we would begin to look a little more like him. Come on. We're, okay, if we're a product of the top five people that we spend the most time with, wouldn't it stand to reason that if Jesus was one of those five or at the top of that list, we would start to look like him? That's transformation. That's the beauty of the gospel. He's given us his spirit who empowers us to live godly lives. And as with anything, developing takes discipline. It's not easy. The struggle is real. But God is faithful. And so if we're seeing bad fruit manifested in our hearts and in our lives, perhaps we are abiding in the wrong vine. Bad fruit, wrong vine. In order to have good fruit produced in us, there must be a healthy vine. It's the same thing with plants. In order to have healthy fruit, the vine must be good. In John 15, verse 5, Jesus said, Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches, and those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Maximum fruit production comes from the care, consistent care and feeding and nurturing of a plant. We remain connected to Jesus and his Holy Spirit produces fruit in us and through us. Those who abide in Jesus belong to Jesus. Paul says that in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus... They have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful natures to his cross and have crucified them there. And so I have crucified my sinful nature and all my rotten fruit to his cross. And it has been crucified to me by what Jesus did on the cross. You see this relationship? I have crucified my sinful natures and desires. I've given them to the feet of Jesus. And in turn, he has crucified them to me forever, for all eternity. It is finished, was for real. And that means that we're dead to each other. Clarifying, me and the rotten fruit are dead to each other. We're no longer connected, canceled, cut off. Contact between us has ceased because of the cross of Christ. Paul contrasts this very obviously in verse 25. He says, since we are living by the Spirit or experiencing God's gift of life and salvation by our faith in Jesus Christ, 
Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. Since we're living by him, let's follow him. Let's put our faith in God, the Holy Spirit, the indwelling presence of God. Let's keep in cadence with him. Let's keep in step with him. I love it. Holy Spirit is not a drill sergeant. He's not going to get in your face. He's not going to make you drop and give you 50. No, he says, come on, abide with me. Keep in step with me. I, I will provide you a way out in the face of temptation. Come with me. Learn from me. He goes and he invites us to go with him. He's so kind. So where have we got it twisted? Our transformation doesn't happen by us switching from one to-do list to another. What's the point of that? Not freedom. The result of that will not be freedom. Switching from one to-do list to another will not get you free. When we keep in step with the Holy Spirit, our fruit and our works of the flesh are replaced with something, but it's not works of the law. Our rotten fruit and the flesh of the sin nature are replaced with the fruit of the Spirit, with the workings of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so, when you are free in Christ, you'll love to do what you ought to do. That's transformation. Saying yes to Jesus, submitting to him, walking in step with the Spirit. When you're free in Christ, you love to do what you ought to do. When we focus on ourselves and all the things that we can do, if we try to manifest love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, we won't. And that's selfish. Legalism is self-serving. The spirit-led life is self-sacrificing. I'm going to say that again. Legalism is self-serving, but the spirit-led life is self-sacrificing. The mindset that we've got that says that we have to control the creation of the fruit of the spirit is neglecting our true and simple call to abide and to remain in the vine who is Jesus. And so what would it look like to transfer all of this effort that we've put into creating this fruit, tried and failed that, I might add, what if we transferred all of that effort to the hands of the one who is very, very capable of producing his character in us? What if we practiced being mindful of the Holy Spirit. Mindfulness is good. What would it look like if we had an awareness of the Spirit's working? What if we practiced hearing from the Spirit of God? Not just hearing, but listening. We are so busy. We're filling our, our, our days. Mm. It's too easy to fill our days with stuff so we don't hear, so we don't listen. What if we practiced being obedient to what the Spirit is speaking and to what the Spirit is saying to us 
What if we practiced walking in the Spirit? So I always came up like to this point and I was like, okay, cool, walk in the Spirit. How do I do that? Well, this week I spent some time uh, asking the Lord how. And so as of the response time today, I have put sheets of paper over there, right here in the middle, and over here on this side. And my challenge to you is this. What I did was I put each of the fruit of the Spirit on here and gave like two to three really tangible ways to practice them. And this isn't contradictory because I'm not saying go and try to manifest love. Go to try and manifest joy because that would be completely opposite of everything that I just shared. But with love, for example... I said, take a minute and ask the Lord who you can show love to this week by reaching out with a phone call, a card or a letter or a lunch date, and then be obedient and follow through with who the Lord lays on your heart. I think we've really overcomplicated this whole thing. Peace. Carve out five minutes to be still and know that he is God. Leave your phone in another room. Sit down and simply be with God. Like, I literally like spelled it out for you. And so my challenge is this. Would you take one of these? If you want to practice the whole list, sweet. I think that you will be blown away by what the Lord says, by what you come to discover about him. But I only want you to take this if you're really serious about um, doing it and practicing it and being obedient and really trying. Because like I said, it takes time to develop discipline. It takes some practice. And all it requires, all this requires is this time, your Bible and a pen and paper if you want to. So my challenge is this, just take this, pray over it, take this time, seek the Lord. If this is something that the Holy Spirit is, is stirring in you, like, yeah, I want to start to really practice walking in the Spirit and listening and obeying the Holy Spirit, come grab one of these, read through the list, maybe make some marks on some ones that you want to practice even tonight. That's it. It's really that simple. So I'm going to pray. The worship team is going to sing a song. And if you would like to come, stand up, be bold, come forward and take one. This isn't a secret. And I love the, the corporate nature of this is we get to see we're doing this individually, but also we're doing this together. And I'm excited to see the fruit of the spirit made manifest through you and through us. So let's pray. Jesus, you're good. And I'm thankful for the indwelling presence of God himself in us, the Holy Spirit. So Lord, I pray that you would take all that was said tonight, bless it and multiply it, Lord. Help us to be obedient to you. 
Your love is real. You are real. And you are worthy. We love you. In Jesus' name.